0: near the cross. Okay. I think we're good. Happy Sabbath. Ooh, that was good. I was expecting to have to do that twice. Well done. Um. Uh oh. Technology. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, I was just talking to uh person in the back last week, I, I typically will run all of my notes straight off of this, and every once in a while it fails on me, and it results in a lot of stress. Um. <laughs> Alright, let's try this again. Alright, we may, I may just need to tell you when the slides need to be changed. There we go. Okay, good. Um, I have, I have met a lot of really good people here so far, and I'm excited about being here. I know that we're excited about being here. Um, we're excited about—I we, can say for me that beyond a shadow of the doubt, God has led us here. And I, I don't know why um, for us or for you, but I'm excited to explore what that means and why. Um, and I'm excited to work with Brian a little bit. He's gone, so I can talk behind his back now. Um, oh, hey, hey Brian. Uh, oh, thanks. Just in case. Cool. Um, hey, would you be able to grab my computer from my office, just just in case, if I need it? Um, (laughs) sorry. Um, no, like, I, I, um, I'd say my first impression of, of Brian has been an overwhelming sense that this is a man that, um. Takes his own spiritual journey very seriously and is deeply committed to that, and to me that's really exciting. And I'm really, um, I think that that's a wonderful thing. Um, one of my kind of resolutions for coming here is to um, is to go ahead and just keep it up there. And if I need it, I'll let you know. Um, is to better document things. I am not the kind of person that lets like, hey everybody, let's stop and take a picture. Um, I think it's super awkward. But I'm going to try better at that. So as part of this, I'm going to be really awkward and cool. And like, all right, guys, smile. You, you in the back, I, uh, smile bigger. I can't see it. Um, oh, that makes it, uh, that's weird. Okay. Um, all right, there we go. Uh, you guys already kind of met my family. This is one of the very few and rare pictures where we all kind of look presentable. Um, Uh, Michelle is my wife. She's the best wife. Sorry for everyone else that missed out. Um, And then we got Zoe right here. She's the middle. Ryan's the oldest. And Jaden is guaranteed to destroy something in every room he walks into. So keep that in mind if you invite us over. I have got stories. (laughs) So that's what we look at like uh, sometimes. And that's, of course, when we're not actively um, saving Middle-earth. So uh, Zoe decided, she says, I, I want to be a princess with a sword. And I said, done. And that's probably the best intro I could possibly give my daughter. I want to be a princess with a sword. Um, I could spend all morning talking about my family, um, but, but we don't, don't have that much time. Uh, the doors in the back don't lock. I noticed that. Um. Oh man, that picture didn't come through. How weird. Okay. Uh, so another thing that I want to talk to you about is that my job is done best, and this community is done best when we understand each other. When we understand um, each other's needs and enjoyments and loves and, and 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 struggles and all those other things. And it's my goal coming here to do life with you. And so my goal is to get to know you as quickly as possible. And eventually, I'm going to start calling you and saying, like, hey, we need to hang out. Um, if you would like to preempt that and invite me over to start with—oh, it did come through. How sweet. Um, if you'd like to preempt that and invite me over, my phone number is in your bulletin. That's my cell phone number. Text me, call me, whatever. Um, please uh, don't text me at 3 in the morning. Um, and what I love doing when I'm visiting people is I love entering into your world. Whatever it is that makes you happy, your most comfortable place, whatever that is. So your favorite coffee shop or your favorite lunch place or your favorite whatever. Um, I've had people take me uh, to do all kinds of things. Uh, favorite home-cooked meal, favorite activity. I've been taken biking, skiing, uh, to the gym for a workout. One of my favorite weeks was... Uh, I went for an all-day motorcycle ride with one of my uh, parishioners one day, which is fun. And then the next day, we went, uh, I went with somebody else and did yoga with them. And that was uh, painful. But nobody could say that I don't bend over backwards for my parishioners. So, you know, that's that. Dad's jokes for the win. Um... One other thing that I want to talk about. So we're talking about unity in this series. And my, my journey concerning unity has been an interesting one in that um, I would say that my perspective on unity has changed a huge amount. It kind of started off as like this call to like, I'm so sick and tired of hearing everybody fight. Can't we all just get along? Um, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that. But... Um, a few years ago, this book came out, Until Unity. Some of you know who Francis Chan is. Um, he is a, a very favorite author of mine. And he wrote this book, Until Unity. And I picked it up, and I read through it, and um, I would say that my... The way that I thought about unity evolved to a whole nother level, and, and I, it, it became something more about, less about convenience, and all of a sudden... I started seeing the world. Um, the, the notion of unity as being such a core principle of who we are, and unless we as a people can start understanding better how to be unified towards a different topic than we are, or towards a common direction, then we are going to be, we, we, we cannot be effective until then. And it's such a, a huge, common theme in the bible Uh, you know i don't want to get too far ahead of myself what i want to say though is um if if you want if you want a different take on unity and if you want your mind expanded on this topic in a huge way pick up this book some of what you're going to be hearing from me this morning is from it um yeah so let's let's go ahead and get started let's pray lord May the words spoken this morning not be my own. May my thoughts not be my own, but be yours. And Lord, you know the needs and the wants and the, the desires of every person walking through this door this morning. And I ask that you, that you translate what I say midair and, 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 and bring people's minds to a place Hear what they want to what they need to hear from you. We thank you so much for your love and for your goodness. And we just ask, we invite you, your spirit, to come here in a powerful, powerful way and to move our hearts towards you. Amen. Alright, so I want to introduce you to Sir Ernest Shackleton. Sir Ernest Shackleton lived in the early 1900s, and he is the um, main character of one of my absolute favorite stories of survival, which is the journey of the endurance. Does anybody know that story? A few of you. Fantastic. Sir Ernest Shackleton is still considered to be one of the top leaders, Um, one 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 of the best examples of leadership in the world, Um, And ever has been he still studied in leadership school. He's still studied in military schools And here's the kicker. He never ever accomplished a single one of his stated goals Isn't that fascinating the story at hand is a story of the endurance and the endurance is a great Story and one of the really cool things about this story is that they had a photographer on board an amazing photographer, and despite nearly losing their lives over and over and over again, this photographer was avidly taking pictures with one of those big clunky cameras and constantly saving the slides, and so we have got amazing pictures from the entire voyage. Some of them are touched up with a little bit of color like this one. Um, so the story of the Endurance goes like this. There's a ship, Ernest Shackleton, he was, he was on one of the original voyages to try to be the first to reach the South Pole. Are you Googling this? Where is he? Um, yeah, there you are, Brett. Brett's in Sabbath school. He's like, I Google everything. Um, so now I'm really nervous. I'm going to get something wrong. Uh, he was one of the first voyages to try to reach the South Pole. And as is everything in Europe, the British were trying to beat out everybody else, and everybody else was trying to beat out everyone else. And it's like, you know, for a king and glory, or whatever it is they say. And um, they didn't get it. He didn't get there, but the the captain he was on board with was known to be a tyrant. And he would go, and there's one story where he goes, and they're trudging through the snow, and everyone's cold, and everyone's miserable, and they all have horrible uh, physical ailments, and things are just going wrong. And the man is They're yelling at them in their faces, calling them names, insulting them, telling them they're no good, worthless nothings. And uh, Shackleton was a very young man at the time. And he remembers when they finally turned around and came back. They got within 500 miles of the South Pole, which was a record at the time. And he says when he got back, he remembers um, his feet bleeding. He was bleeding out of his mouth and, and other orifices. They all had horrible things, and they just were miserable the entire time. And Ernest Shackleton decided he was going to lead in a different way. And that plays heavily into what was going on. So someone managed to get to the South Pole first, and so they said, we need a new goal. And so the new goal was to cross the continent of Antarctica, be the first to cross the continent. And so off they go. This is a picture of the ship, the Endurance. Um, It's there in the ice. You may ask how he got this picture. Well, when you're in a situation like this, you can just hop off the boat and walk across the ice. Here's another good one. Isn't that a cool picture? And so they head off. And this is a tricky, tricky place because, of course, the weather changes regularly. And when the weather changes, it not just changes how you can sail, but it also changes the ice flows and how those all work. And so they went... And they stayed with some um, whalers for a while, and the whalers were kind of expert in this area, and they were t- helping them figure out when they should leave and when they shouldn't. So they ha- head off on their journey. and here's a picture of them trying to cut their way through ice, because they would go, and then they'd get stuck in ice, and so they'd all have to unload and start chopping at the ice to try to get through. And as time went on, they just got more and more and more stuck to the place where this ship was, was trapped in the ice and the ice flows started coming together in such a way that it was actually pushing the entire boat up, and it started listing to the side. Here's a picture of it doing that. And so they actually got out, and they camped on the ice flows because it was a safer place to be than on the boat itself. And during the night, there were stories about— this is taken on— by the way, this is taken on October uh, 19—1915— The photographer's name is um, Frank Hurley. Listen to this quote of his. By the way, the photographer also kept daily notes for the entirety of this voyage, Um, and so we we know an incredible amount of what happened here. Here's a quote from his journal. He says, The ship groans and quivers. The windows splinter while the deck timbers gape and twist. This is an all-oak ship with huge timbers. Amid these profound and overwhelming forces, we are the embodiment of helpless futility. We are the embodiment of helpless futility. See, we're a people that tend to enjoy a constant safety net. I saw a post earlier today about Australia, a group of tourists, a huge group of tourists going up to a river's edge where there are crocodiles actively sitting there looking at them. And the park rangers were yelling at them, get back, that, get that back, and no, no, no. And there's little kids playing out there. More than one person has died from this. And yet they were just standing there. Why? Because we have the mindset that we've constantly got this safety net. They had no safety net. When they left There was no way to contact home. There was no rescue. There was no nothing. If they all sunk below the ice, no one would ever know what happened to them. And so they sat, and they watched their ship do this, and they wondered whether they would ever be able to get back on it. And the ice flows were so rough, it was a hard environment to live in. There were times where they were recorded as being 10 below zero and white-out winds. Here you can see, if you can see it real well, they have these cairns, these um, big posts build up out of snow, and they have ropes along them because when the wind kicks up, you can't see it but a few feet away. And you could be just a few feet away from the ship and die out there because you would never know where it even is. And so they had these set up so that if, if you got lost, hopefully you'd be able to run into one of these ropes and you could find your way back to the camp. Well, the Endurance finally broke up. This was taken on November 21st, 1915. And this is where the ship finally just crushed it. And uh, it sunk, and they watched it sink below the ice. And here's a picture of Shackleton and his first mate surveying what's left on top of the ice and realized they are thousands of miles away from the closest person with no boat. I mean, they had, like, little life rafts, but that was it. And that is the moment where nearly everybody, including you and I, would say, we're all dead. One of the reasons that I, I, I love this story, I was, I was reading this story about a year ago, and all that went through my mind at the time was, Man, wouldn't it be cool to find that ship? I mean, it's over 100 years old and at the bottom of Antarctic, or Antarctica somewhere. But um, wouldn't it be cool to find that ship? And just a few weeks later, or a few months later, this is so cool April of this year, they found it. They found it at the bottom of the ocean. And one of the neat things about this is that the environment is so cold that the typical microbes and worms and whatever it is that break up these things underwater didn't exist. Check this out. You can read it, the endurance, across the back. There's reports you can... um, you can see videos, they say that there's, there's, there's windows, port hatches that are still intact. There's shoes that are still on deck. Um, it's, it's incredible, and it's completely side to what I'm talking about, but I can't not talk about this and like, be like, whoa, look at this. Um, isn't that cool? Look at that. that it's, that thing's old. <laughs> it's old. Okay, back to the story at hand. So here they are, camped out on the ice. They've got sled dogs, and they're trying to figure out what to do. No hope of rescue. No way of alerting the outside world. Travel is extremely difficult. They ha- they're, they're on a floating ice flow. These ice flows are jagged. They're not just flat, so you have to try to get across. Um, and and without, I can't go into the entire story because it is such an amazing, long story. But the whole... Thing ended up taking a little... About roughly two years. Are you Googling that? Oh, I'm sorry. It took roughly two years. There's stories of them having to to, to navigate the jagged ice flows of, of... They have to break out the ice flows. They crossed a mountain range on Antarctica once they got there. They, they went through some of the most raging seas. Um, they, they had somebody... A wild animal almost killed somebody in the process. This story has it all. Some of the most amazing adventures. Ah, uh, this is kind of the stuff that they were trying to navigate with their sled dogs. Not exactly easy to do. Um, here's a picture of them hauling, trying to, to haul the life rafts across the sleds because, across the islows because um, they need to try to get across. This one is obviously a painting because the photographer needed to be in one of those boats. But once they actually got in, one time they saw Antarctica. And they were like, there it is. We need to get on solid land. And so they they were watching it. And as they were watching it, it was just off in the distance. They're like, Oh, we better not get in the boat, but we're floating towards it. But as they're on it, they see it drift off into the distance. And so after a while they go and they're they're watching and they, they see this place called Elephant Island. And they look at it and says, that's only one day of sailing away. Let's do this. And so they all pile into these boats. And they get in. And the seas are rough. And they're moving. And they're doing everything they can. And at the end of the first day, they went and they sighted out. And they realized over the first day, all their hard work, they had gotten no closer. They were actually further away. That one day sail ended up being seven days of hard rowing to get there. Some men got zero sleep over the course of that time. When they got there, it had been 497 days since they had last touched soil of any kind. So when they got to Elephant Island, they decided they had one last desperate attempt. They were going to try to get to a whaling colony. It was practically suicidal. These, sh- these waters were some of the roughest waters in the world, 800 miles away in that little boat. But there's no way we could do it. Here's a quote from Frank Worsley, the, captain's shi- uh, the ship's captain. Shackleton's spirits were wonderfully irrepressible considering the heartbreaking reverses that he has had to put up with and the frustrations of all his hopes for the year at least. One would think that he had never a care on his mind, and he is the life and soul of, of half the skylarking and fooling in the ship. Among all of this, Shackleton somehow manages to keep his, um, his spirits up. Well, they made it. The whole ordeal lasted roughly two years. This is a picture of the men that were left behind on Elephant Island. So when Shackleton managed to get out to this whaling colony, it took him a while to manage to get back. He had three rescue attempts, and each of the first uh, few were, were not able to get there. But this is the condition that he found the men in. And here's the cool, one of the cool parts about it, too. Every single one of them survived not one died every single member survived two years of this grueling cold two years of scrapping for food two years of hard labor it would have been so easy and yes incredible survival skills remarkable good luck and horrible circumstances incredible feats of human grit and focus But Shackleton seems to be the main focus. And what I find most amazing about all this, as somebody who frequents survival stories, it's one of my things among all this is these men somehow stuck together through all this. Now that might not sound too crazy, but it is. Because in most survival stories, what you find, and you guys, I'm sure you've all been there, you get into a tough situation. You know, you're on a family vacation. Frustrations start running high. The kids are being annoying. You have to get gas before, you know, like you're not sure you're going to make it. Everyone's angry. And what do you do? It's human nature. You turn on each other, right? And you kind of start sniping a little bit. Now imagine a situation where you're pretty sure that everyone's just going to die. And you're sure that there's one way that you're all going to make it to safety. Of course, everyone's going to be turning on each other. And that's nearly what always happens. Every single time people turn on each other, they start fighting, they divide, and they die. They divide, and they die. But these men somehow manage to pull it together and say, we are in this together and we will die together, or we will survive together. And yes, there was a part where they had to split up, but it's not because somebody started stomping off. And no, it's not that, like they were saints, you know? There's certainly stories in the entire time in this, stories of the men being grumpy and angry, and somehow a peacemaker started got getting, getting in and started getting them all on the same page. And it kind of makes me think a little bit about the story of Paul and Barnabas, recorded in Acts. You see, Saul, a new Christian, comes along, and Barnabas takes him kind of under his wing and shows him the ropes and says, hey, welcome, new Christian. And he introduces him to all the other people. And the Bible records that a sharp disagreement between them happens. And it says, it says why, but it doesn't really go much into that. And it's kind of hard to draw conclusions on something that you don't have a lot of information on, right? I mean, it would be really— I, I kind of wish I was on the fly on the wall while you were sitting there and they were fighting because you, c- you can easily say, oh, man, like this would be the model of what it should look like when we disagree. Or it should be like, oh, these two grand um, titans of faith have fallen because they are arguing. We don't know which is the case. And it's so wrong. Maybe Paul was right. Maybe Barnabas was right. Maybe they were both wrong. Maybe they handled it. well. maybe they didn't. But it's easy to look at this and say, these men were both called by God in a powerful way. How could they possibly disagree to the point where they they split up? And here's what I want to get at with this with you. First of all, there's there's, there's two main points that I want to get at. I'm kind of circling around them. The first one is that tensions will always exist it doesn't matter how called you are and how called i am tensions will always exist we should come to expect them here let me switch gears for a second um so i went over to the gregory's house last week and they're not here so i can say whatever i want to about them i'm trying not to make this too much of a recurring habit um but cedric oh man we were having this conversation, I'm like, so what are you into, man? Some of you may know where I'm going with this. So what are you into? And he's like, oh, this, that, and the other. And it's like, uh, Legos. And I was like, oh, well, I too are into Legos. I've got a few sets. And he kind of smiles and nods like, yeah. Come to find out, it's a little bit like like me telling Sean White, like, well, I also snowboard. I have never seen a more amazing, like, I'm talking boxes of, 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 like, collectible parts and, like, boxes of, their, oh, my goodness. Like, it was incredible. Um, it, it, here, I've got Legos right here. <clears throat> I'm going to play with Legos during my sermon. Ha. All right. So in a topic about unity, it'd be really easy to start kind of going through, and you know, it is a good point to go through and talk about how every piece has its own place, and they all work together, and they all come together for, for you know, the thing, and if you all had just one piece, it'd be really boring, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and that's a good point, but there's something else I want to see. So this is, this, um, this is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven layers stacked, Okay. Um, of those little thin ones. You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay. Okay, I'm going to try this again. You ready? What just happened? What just happened? It didn't break. It didn't fall apart. You know what these suckers are stuck together with? Nothing. Nothing. I didn't glue them. I didn't put them together. I mean, do you, guys, do you guys remember all of my childhood Legos have teeth marks in them? You know, because you have to, like, try to get them out. And it's, like, really annoying. And then half the time you slip and get out of your gums. You know these things actually come with tools now to try to save the gums of our children around America? Um, this sucker is stuck together with nothing but friction with nothing but friction and tension. And this is why we're talking about unity, and this is what I want to get at here. You see, <clears throat> a lot of people believe that friction and tension amongst ourselves, amongst each other, is simply a design— it, it, it's, a, it's a breakdown of a good thing, right? I see this a lot in marriage, um, in, in, in working with marriages— and in, in, in relationships, and the more I see, the more I start realizing that, that people see relationships the same way they'll see, like, a brand-new sports car, right? Like, you get it, you bring it home, it's so shiny, it's so good, it's absolutely perfect, it smells wonderful, you know, the new car smell. And eventually, the new car smell starts to fade, and you park in a parking lot where some jerk takes his door to you. And, you you get your first scratch, and then, like, your kid pukes in the back, and it starts smelling funny, and all those things, and slowly, what makes this car so special fades away. And a lot of people see their relationships, they see their marriages in the same way, and it's a real, real, um, it's real sad that people think that way. Because the truth is, is that we're people and we think differently. And that's a good thing. The tensions between us grow us. The tensions in your marriage grow you as a person. They grow your marriage. And when you work through them, you will come out the the other side better for it. It's not tarnished it's better. These are the things. It's like, it's like going to the gym, right? Like nothing good comes without a little bit of pain, without a little bit of effort. And the more work you put in, the more exercise you give your marriage, the more exercise you give your relationships, the better they become. And coming into a church family environment, I can expect that I will disagree with you, and you can expect that you will disagree with me. And guess what? That's great. Because when we work on that, when we come together, when we, when we do those things, those tensions between us are what grows us. It makes us better people. If I walked into a church environment where it was just filled with a whole bunch of me's, that's a problem. Because just the things that I think, just the things like it would be an echo chamber, and that's a problem. We need to come to a place where we can agree with those tensions, but that's a hard thing to do. And it's a hard thing to do because we've got arrogance. It's a hard thing to do because we've got pride. And when you disagree with me, it's easy to take that as as an indication that you think you're better than me. And so my chest... Puffs out a little bit, and I'll say, Brian, sorry, Andrew, um, Brian, you're wrong, and he'll say, No, you're wrong, and I, I really hope this isn't the way it's gonna go, but um, and he'll say, You have to do it like this, and I'll be like, But that's not the way I do it, and so it starts becoming an issue of pride. We need to learn how to put away the issue of pride because this is what causes tensions to break us apart rather than to pull us together. And when we break apart is when we lose our strength. I got ahead of myself. I want to read a few verses. I mentioned earlier that 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 book that I had uh, talked about earlier really changed my mind about some things And I want to read just a few verses because the issue of unity is far more than just a cute way of making us all get along. It's at at the very core of who we are, and we cannot embrace or we cannot understand this. It is a major problem. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain, eager to maintain, Not just wanting to, but eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Eager to maintain unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Ephesians 4. But avoid foolish controversies. Oh, my stars. We're good at that, aren't we? Not avoiding part, the foolish controversies part. Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the laws, for they're unprofitable and worthless as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once then twice have nothing to do with him do you see how seriously dissension is taking place this is at an absolute necessity we must be unified and if there is somebody who is actively breaking up unity the bible tells us have nothing to do with him Cast him out from your presence, boy. Knowing that such a sinful, that such a person is warped and sinful, and he is self-condemned. That's harsh. That's really harsh. Have nothing to do with fool. Uh, I already did that one. Um, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness. This one is hard, isn't it? I mean, if we're really sure about it, right? I mean, like, hate is one thing. Like, uh I hate you. But it's a whole nother thing when we sit around and we think about the people on the other team, right? I mean, let's be honest. There's people, there's groups within the Adventist church that I am... Very skeptical of. And I'm sure that there's groups within the Adventist Church that you're very skeptical of. And this says, if you hate in any way, with a lot or a little, you are without the light of God. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling but whoever hates his brothers in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes don't get me wrong i'm not saying we should abandon doctrine lest you uh, accuse me of this i believe that i strongly believe that god has given us some things that are meant for our benefit that are good i believe these are precious and we should hold on to them. But let's be honest, these are not the main things. Sabbath will not save you. State of the dead will not save you. What saves you is Jesus' love, his death on the cross. That's what saves you. That's where your attention should be. What if our main goal, our entire Christian experience, was to worship? I mean, really, really worship. What if weekly we worship? Our main goal is to be overwhelmed by the fact that while still God's enemies spitting in his very face, we suffered the full wrath. He, he suffered the full wrath of our sin for us while we were still against him. While filthy and wretched, he called us sons and daughters. He lives for eternity perfect and sinless, surrounded by perfect beings who cover their faces and cry, holy, 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 who are we to think that we are worthy? What? Were we to even believe that we, we deserve to be noticed, let alone highly favored? How could I possibly sit at the foot of the cross, overcome with how significant I am and look to my brother and condemn him How could I do that? I can't And it's those times where I feel condemnation for my brother Is when I notice that my heart is not overwhelmed by the glory of God's grace That's what unity is Unity is when we are so focused on the cross That we can acknowledge differences the main thing is still the main thing. We can disagree on things, important things. And I'm thinking about the story in the Bible where where the disciples come out and say, hey Jesus, there's somebody uh, that's not on our team, right? He's uh, casting out people in your name and uh, we tried to stop him. And what did Jesus say? Oh, does he understand all the important points of my ministry? No, he didn't say that. He says let him. Anybody who is on our side is on our side. Let's go. Let's let's do this thing. It's when my eyes are focused on the grace and power of Christ that I can come to see that what matters in this world is growing the kingdom as Brian was saying, growing the kingdom How could I squabble over small things when there's people that desperately need to know the grace and love of our Jesus Christ? And when we all come together towards that purpose, some of the little things that we're squabble about aren't so important anymore. Let's pray. May our eyes, God, be focused on you. May we be overwhelmed by your love and grace. May we see ourselves as the throwaway sinners that we are to Satan and also as the royalty that we are to you. May our hearts be broken daily by the magnitude of what you have done for us. We love you.